again, everyone, and welcome to a very special three-point podcast. It's the inaugural Corona High School Athletic Hall of Fame weekend, and we are excited to take a trip down memory lane with some of the great Cavalier legends. We are three sports guys from three different generations, all former Cavs. I'm Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids. Our partners include Main Street Pizza with locations throughout mid-Michigan, the Corona Connection, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, and Card Service Michiana. Thanks also to our website network teammates, Sports Radio Detroit and our radio home, Z92.5 The Castle. If you like what you hear here, help us continue to grow and subscribe on Apple Podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast hosting sites. You can also follow us, hit us up with your comments or questions on social media at 3 Point Pod. We're going to get it rolling right after these very important messages. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, guys, we got the Hall of Famers coming up here in just a minute, but let's get some memories of the great athletes, you know, back when we were growing up. And I'll start it off. You know, we're going to have Jerry Dutcher on the program, and I remember as a young kid watching Jerry Dutcher, thinking he was the greatest in the world. Of course, one of his his teammates, Dave Harvey, was also an icon when I was a youngster growing up. How about you guys? It's funny you throw out Dave Harvey because he was was one of my – I had him as a teacher at Corona, and then when I was going through playing football, he was coaching jv and he was one of my favorite coaches and you know i know he was a longtime umpire i think he's still doing it and everything so yeah dave harvey he's he's a legend around corona but i mean i remember i i have older siblings so i grew up i mean all through the 90s and then when i was in high school going to watch those mid-90s football teams that i know ted you definitely remember like the 94 team oh yeah i remember going in 96 the team that went to uh, atwood stadium and they, they did end up losing to Jackson Lumen Christie. But as a kid, I mean, I was, whatever, 11 years old then. It was so cool to go to that field in Flint, and it was AstroTurf, like the old-school AstroTurf, and that was cool. So, yeah, those mid-'90s football teams are some that really stick out to me. The one glaring omission from this Hall of Fame inductee class, Pete Ornis. I mean, am I right, Ted? You've, I think you've said that he's actually the best player you've ever seen play at Cross. Well, I will say this. He, he was probably the best running back. He he was the, the prototypical hit-and-spin guy, you know. He would get to that line and then spin, and that's virtually unstoppable. I know his team, for sure, 
will be uh, honored as Hall of Famers down the road. Pete was one of the best for sure, and I'll tell you what, there's a lot of uh, history in Corona football without a doubt for individuals. But Pete's right up there. Yeah, and one, one also that sticks out to me too, speaking of individuals for uh, Corona football, is Jimmy Skodak. You know, he went on to have a really good career at Fair State. Even got invited to some NFL combines and played in like some arena league football leagues and stuff like that professionally. But I remember I was coming up into high school when he was playing, and I mean I was I was friends. I grew up with his brothers and everything. You know I knew him pretty well, but he was someone that was almost like uh, must watch TV type of thing when he was playing football. You know, and when I was a little older, this guy was a couple years younger than me, Steve Nice, but he went on and played for the Central Michigan Chippewas, actually earned a starting berth in the in the secondary and was an outstanding college player in the MAC for CMU. And, you know, he had his start there playing for his dad. The thing that's important to note, though, is that the Hall of Fame is not decided on accomplishments outside of Corona High School. Correct. I mean, that's just something you got to keep in the in the that's something you got to remember because you are a voter correct that's right and then some of the other guidelines you, you got to be out of school for five years but i mean i i'll tell you one thing I, i'm sure it was very difficult to decide the first group yeah another one just quick that i think about when we have these hall of fame discussions are some of those mid-90s baseball teams i grew up going to watch all those guys Brian Osborne, Mike Jackson, and I remember Gary Zego just watching him just mash balls. I mean, to let the roofs on the houses in left field or under the track in right field. So, so yeah, Coach Bohack and some of those mid-90s baseball teams, I think, should be getting some consideration. And then also the, the wrestling program. I mean, I mean, Dave Robertson, before he retired, he was one of the best coaches in the whole state of Michigan. He turned that wrestling program into one of the best programs in, in the whole state. So I would think that uh, Dave Robertson should probably be getting some, some discussion at some point too. There's going to be some other well-deserved honorees coming up as the years go by. But what can you say about about Corona finally coming up with the Athletic Hall of Fame? I, mean, I know there's a lot of high schools out there that have done it. Uh, we'll be talking with Jason Beldiga. He's going to say what he looked at as far as some of the other Hall of Fames out there. I think it's a really neat thing. I mean, I think it's definitely cool. And we, we've talked about high school football a lot on this podcast. And, you know, the storied history, I guess, of all of Corona sports. It's just cool to, you know, the community aspect of what Corona means, you know, kind of a smaller community. People remember this, you know, people will come back home and have the banquet, the golf scramble and stuff like that. It's just a cool event. It keeps everyone connected. Absolutely. You know, we never did get Jared's answer. As a youngster, Jared, who did you, who did you follow? You looked up to your brothers or is there some other athletes that maybe you were looking at? Yeah, pretty much my brothers. I mean, when I was growing up, kind of like what it's like watching Michigan right now, it, it was pretty much the dog days of Corona Athletics. I mean, there was one in 19 basketball seasons. The football team, I don't think, made it to the playoffs. It had like a playoff drought until like 2013 or so. There wasn't a whole lot of guys that I looked to, you know, it basically was just watching my brothers. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Ted, they had to go through a lot of teams and players and stuff like that. But the 83 basketball team has to be like the biggest no-brainer to make the, the first class of the Hall of Fame. But So he, he's a part of it, but your dad, Jared, you know, as a, as a player, but then I was on his his basketball team in 02 and 03 who went to the semifinals so as a player and then a coach you would have to think that he might be in consideration at some point right i would think so great coach great player and i don't know if you can lobby for your dad or for your brother (laughs) probably not I just I just want to know, Jared, how many times do you make you watch that '83 state championship game? He doesn't like watching that because if you remember that the first half, I don't know who like the star player, Freddie was, Marshall, but he like he went off for like thirty, and my dad was guarding him. <laughs> I really actually rarely watch it, and whenever we do, it just he's kind of like I don't want to say embarrassed because he's, 
because obviously it's like he was a really good player and stuff like that. But yeah, he's pretty much he's pretty much kind of embarrassed when we watched that first half. At least. Well, I'll throw the first half out because he played solid in the second half, hit some some clutch free throws. So uh, they did win the state championship. And we're going to be talking with his teammate Rich Moffitt. It's going to be a fun show, everybody. Keep it locked right here, and uh, we're going to get it off and rolling right after this. Advanced Elevator Company features top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators. An area business leader and a longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud sponsor of Three Point Podcast. The CoronaConnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on all that is Corona at CoronaConnection.com. And speaking of Corona, all parents want to do what's best for their child, right? Well, look no further than the Corona Public Schools, where nearly 40% of the entire student population are school of choice students. Rated the top high school in Shiawassee County by U.S. News and World Report. Young or old, it's great to be gold. This year's Cavalier contributor in the Hall of Fame is Frank Korn, the voice of the Cavaliers. Korn spent 50 years as the football announcer at the press box for varsity football games, 30-plus years as a basketball announcer, and a long, long-time FFA advisor at Corona High School, and also a standout athlete in his younger days himself up at Chesanine. Frank Corrin, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. How does it feel? Well, very, very good. A little bit surprising how a Chesanine Indian <laughs> in the former years gets to be in the Hall of Fame at the Corona High School Cavaliers. Well, I'll tell you what, well-deserved, and you know, I grew up right across the street from the stadium, so I can't tell you how many times I've heard your booming voice when I was a young boy, you know, in the bedroom trying to keep up to date on what was going on with Cavalier football, but uh, I guess I've got a question I'll start out with and see if these boys have some questions for you, but uh, how, how did you make your way into the press box for the first time, and then you stuck it out for 50 years? Well, it started back in 1964 when I got a job over in Millington, and the first year I was there, the coach came to me and asked me, because of what he thought was my speaking ability, if I would announce football games for the Millington Cardinals. So I did that for three years, and then I switched jobs and came over to Corona to take over the agriculture program. And knowing Nick and Nice for many, many years, he came to me and asked me if I would uh, announce the Cavalier ball games. So I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. Never thought I'd last 50 years, but one thing led to another, and pretty soon 50 years was up. So you were, you were the announcer for 50 years. In all those years, like, what was the best game you ever saw? Probably the best one I saw, because of my background, was Chronic Cavaliers against the Chesanine Indians. That was a very, very tough ball game. Both sides had good athletes, a lot of hard hitting. Luckily, the Cavaliers ended up being on the, the winning side, but it was a very, very well played by all the young men out there on that field. About what era was that, Frank? Well, I can't even remember that. Uh, just... All I know is Doc Forsythe never got to watch the ball game. He was, he was a doctor in Chesapeake, and there was a few injuries on the field. One of our fans had a heart attack, and they got him over there, and it seems like Doc Forsythe, I, over the mic, I was calling Doc Forsythe all the time to attend to that. But it probably was back in the late 80s. Yep, I think you're right. I remember that. Wasn't it Buddy Straub? 
Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was a scary night at the Nick. And, of course, one night I remember is when uh, Corona was taking on St. John's down 28 to nothing in the third quarter, and all of a sudden the lights went out. I don't know if that was intentional or what, but Corona came back and won that game. You remember that one? I do. It's tur- now, when the lights went out and it came back on, it turned the whole ball game around. It was unbelievable how the Cavaliers played in that fourth quarter. Frank, this is Matt. I graduated in 2003, so I, I have older siblings. I grew up going to Corona games all through the 90s my whole life, and then I played in the early 2000s. So I definitely remember you, as Ted said, being the voice of the Cavaliers. So it's really cool to get a chance to talk to you. But I'm just curious. You started out at Millington, and you know you spent the rest of your career at Corona. How special was Corona, the community, to be a part of for that long and still be a part of it? Well, I moved my family here in 66. That's when I came over here to Corona. And we knew some people here, but we made some very close friends very quickly. And Corona has been a wonderful place for my wife and I to have our family grow up, take part in school, uh, take part in athletics, be involved in the community. Uh, I w- was very much involved in the fair also, along with the uh, FFA and Ag program. It's just been a, a, a real pleasant community to grow up in and, and raise our families in. And the school, to me, our school, our kids all got a very good education. There was discipline all the way through when our kids were in school. And not that there isn't now, but there it still is. It was just a, a well-run school and a well-run community, and we made a lot of great friends here. All right, well, Frank, uh, just one final one from me. Recapping it one more time, you know, you, you joked about it a little bit, being a Chesanine guy, being inducted in the Corona Hall of Fame, Corona Athletics Hall of Fame as a, a special contributor, but uh, what's this mean to you? Well, it means an awful lot. Uh, you want to be humble, but at the same time you – enjoy recognition and to be in the first one is really surprising because i know there was sorted through a lot of names out there of people in this community and and sports has always been a a big part and there's been a lot of team players uh that support athletics here at corona Uh, the corona athletic club and the all the people who volunteer to, to uh, run the chain gangs, run the timing uh, clocks at track meets, and it doesn't matter where you're at. There's just been a, a real community support of that, and to be the first one uh, is a real honor. Well, it's well-deserved, Frank. I mean, you know, longevity has a little bit to do with it, but you obviously had the golden voice, and, uh, man, generations of Cavaliers We'll never forget uh, those Friday nights under the lights hearing you call out names, man. Congratulations again, and we'll catch up with you at the ceremony. All righty. Thank you. Good talking to you. You too, Frank. Well, if anybody in Corona was thinking about having an inaugural team make the Hall of Fame, you had to start with the 1983 state champion boys basketball team. Coached by Frank Davis, assisted by Charlie Carr. They led the team to a 23-4 and overall record in the MHSAA Class B State Championship. The team also captured district and regional championships and beat uh, nine Class A schools throughout the season and almost lost a heartbreaker. I'll bring that up right away for Rich against Duran in the opener at the district. <laughs> Rich Moffitt on the line. Rich, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing outstanding. Well, first of all, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. It's a great honor for your class, and uh, it must have been really cool being a part of that team and still being able to relive it all these years later. It is 
cool. It's uh, you know, it's amazing how many people. I mean, guys, been a bazillion years ago, right? Uh, it's amazing how many people that come up to me still today and kind of bring up that year. So yeah, it was a great, great time. Just recently, actually, I happened to watch the 1980 doc, about the 1980 Corona basketball team, a documentary about them, where they mentioned scrimmaging the 83 team in practice one day. Do you remember that scrimmage at all? I do. I just remember, uh, I mean, obviously Phil Phil and Jeff Rowley, I mean, both good friends, uh, were very, very talented. But I remember, uh, you know, I think they kind of thought they were going to blow us out, and we kind of, you know, played with them for quite a little bit. So kind of a prelude to, what, to what's going to come in the future for us. What did that team mean to you guys? You know, when you look back on it, they kind of set the standard at Corona, and they had a team really that that could have went farther than they did. They made it to the regionals, but uh, you guys were what I think three years younger than that senior class, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, Phil, we played with those guys during the summer, and so uh, all of us, you know, we all had a good relationship with each other, and you know, just seeing how close they were to a team that did go to the state finals, uh, kind of made you realize that uh, sometimes a little bit more involved than just winning, you know, getting a break. And, uh, you know, those guys are great players. Well, of course, that 83 Cavalier basketball team, really legendary uh, in this area, winning the state championship, a state championship nobody ever thought would have happened, maybe other than you guys. When I know I've heard some of the stories from, obviously, my brother John, and I I followed your team very, very closely back in the day. But recap a little bit when you guys thought – you know what, we might just be a state championship team. Well, we thought, I mean, all along since we were little that we were, you know, we were destined to do that. And I think all of us probably have a story somewhat. You know, you go back to our junior year, we made it to the regional finals, and, you know, had we not played so poorly in the regional finals, we thought we had a chance to go that year, um, losing to Mount Pleasant. And so, you know, going into our senior year, I think uh, I think we had a lot of confidence going in, and, I think expectations, at least in Shawasee County, were pretty high. What was it like when you guys did win the championship? Like, what was the parade like when you came home? And what did you do? Do you remember what you did after the game that night? You know, I was just, uh, I don't remember, to be honest with you. I'm an old guy, man, 55 years old. I remember what your dad was doing that night. He was dancing on the tables at Riverbend. Yeah, I mean, I just, (laughs) I remember, you know, coming back, uh, the parade was unbelievable. Just the number of people just blew us away. I remember uh, our bus supposedly breaking down because we were going to arrive uh, too fast to Corona because the parade was set at some certain time. But, uh, you know, it was a great time. You know, I think a lot of the values that I learned back from my, you know, my times at Corona obviously formed uh, my foundation for my coaching career. Rich, this is Matt here. I graduated in 2003 from Corona. I was on the basketball team coached by John, Jared's dad, your teammate on the state championship team when we made it to the semifinals. And one thing that sticks out to me that I remember is the community support through our whole run through the playoffs. And, I mean, you guys won the state championship, so it's even magnified even more. So just talk about how how awesome was it to be a part of the Corona community and see that support from everyone. Well, it's huge. I think, you know, one thing that my dad always commented, you know, my dad followed me me up here at Grayling is that, you know, we had great support. And, God, uh, I think you look at our – talk about support at Corona, we would go away to various places, and we would have more fans there than the home team, uh, which is probably similar to what we had up north at, during my time up here at Grayling. And so, I mean, just uh, the support is incredible. I mean, people are passionate. People are still passionate. 
about athletics there, and uh, I mean, it's the way it should be, right? Absolutely. How about your uh, back when you were playing? You know, Frank Davis obviously was the head coach, you know, and and Charlie Carr, his right hand man. What what did they mean to you guys as youngsters? I know you were a rambunctious bunch. You were confident, but but what did Coach Davis and Coach Carr bring to the table? You know, I think toughness. Um, you go back to you know what they were about, and there's no doubt it was about toughness. And I think you know one thing that stood out I think about our team versus other teams just the word grit we had a bunch of guys who are super duper confident in their abilities we're pretty gritty and pretty resilient group I mean you look back you you mentioned you know our first game of districts being fortunate um, a lot of teams would have been frustrated at that point and we kind of bounced back first game of regionals you know, we had a tough one there so we we're a pretty resilient group and a pretty tough group well, you know, that team, and, and I, I mentioned the coaching staff, you know, and in that uh, state championship game, I think you only played six players, right? You had John at the point, Herrick at the shooting guard, and then you, Phil, and uh, Rich or Weber down low, and then Laskowski came off the bench, had a huge basket at a huge point of the game. But uh, that starting five was something special. It was. I mean, it was a tough – I mean, you go back, I mean, you got to understand something. Back during this – Final four in Class B. I mean, think about this. We had a ton. The other three teams are there. All had Division One basketball players. Um, you go to Wajak, had a 6A kid that went to Western. Uh, East Grand Rapids had Jim Boylan, who's the head coach of the Chicago Bulls right now. Uh, he went to Maine. He was a na- uh, player runner-up to Reggie Lewis, uh, Boston Celtics. They also had Guard Thompson, who was a standout at Michigan. And then you look at Oak Park. I mean, Oak Park had at least three D1 kits. And I can't remember, you know, how many times you look at the Final Fours today in any class that would have that many Division One players, basketball players in it. And so that kind of makes our accomplishment that much bigger. How do you think your team would maybe fare against some of the teams of today, you know, like today's generation of basketball? <laughs> you know, I, well, I think the game's changed. I think with the three-ball shooting, um, I think the – the way the rules were at that time, it was ideal for us. I think the physicality was ideal for us. Um, definitely gave us a huge advantage there. Um, I mean, you look at our inside guys. I mean, I feel sorry for any guy that went up against Z and Webb because those guys beat the crap out of people. <laughs> and so I think during the times, I think our team was built for, you know, during that era, it was built just perfect. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the bad boys of the same era. You know, it was that kind of basketball being played, right? physical exactly i got one final question and then see if these guys have one final one for you but uh you go back to that state championship game okay against oak park i know you've reviewed it you you lived it you know freddie marshall's on fire in the first half what can you tell us about uh if you remember what was said at halftime and and, you know what really turned the tide in that game back to your favor well i just remember i mean obviously they were they played a really good half and they're pretty talented you just remember, I mean, we were confident. I mean, Coach was pretty confident, and I think all of us were extremely confident, you know, at halftime, which maybe we shouldn't have been, but, God, we were. And uh, I think we came out in that third quarter, and I think defensively I thought we kind of beat them up a little bit. Um, I thought our physicality kind of took over the game, and there weren't any easy baskets to be had there. I thought that was huge. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I got one story for you, and this is a great story. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So I'm the, I'm the president of the Basketball Coach Association of Michigan. 
I think it's like 2007. So we have our coaches clinic in Lansing, and all of our pro and college players, of oh, college coaches, I'm sorry, all of our pro coaches and our college coaches that speak at our clinic, we always had like a hospitality room. So I'm up in the hospitality room. It's probably about 11:30 at night, and in watch Jim Boylan. Well, Jim Boylan was an All-State guard for East Grand Rapids. He's coached, I think, at like five pro teams. He was then the assistant coach at Michigan State. Well, Jim walks in, looks at me, walks over to me and says, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at him, and I knew why he said that. And I look at him, and I said, that's because we got hardware. You didn't give me hardware. <laughs> and he's like, you did. And so he, you know, he was in there talking. He goes, I still try to figure out how, and, you know, he was frustrated how East Grand Rapids didn't win a state title. And so it was a great night. I uh, got a chance to trash talk him quite a bit. And he did the same to me. And uh, it was kind of cool for me, you know, with my coaching career, because he hooked me up with, you know, videotapes and all that kind of stuff. You know, when he was at Utah, obviously at state and into the pros. So, uh, you know, good, good guy. You know, once again, talking about guys who remember back in the day. You know, I, I, I sit there and look back. I mean, guys, this was, uh, you look at the players in that Final Four, uh, this is an incredible moment for us. Yeah. Kind of made the, our accomplishment even that much bigger. Well, your accomplishment uh, continues on in lore of Corona Sports. Hall of Famers officially in the inaugural class. Rich, again, thanks for taking the time out, talking about your team a little bit, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday. All right, guys. Hey, take care. Next up, Jamie Krzminski, a 2000 graduate of CHS and a long list of athletic achievements in high school. She was a three-time state champion in the 1600 meter, a two-time state champ in the 3200, and a member of state championships four by 800 relay teams. As a collegiate athlete at MSU, she was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten honoree in cross-country, finished as high as 51st in the nation. The list goes on and on, and, you know, Currently, you work for Nike, right, Jamie? Yes, that's correct. That's kind of a nice segue from somebody that's a standout on the track and cross-country. Boy, it must be kind of sweet working out there in Oregon for Nike. No, it is. It's a perfect marriage of being able to still, you know, go out and run um, at lunchtime or after work and still get to actually, you know, run in, you know, training shoes and, you know, just get to still live that passion for sport. Um, in a different way, but also still enjoying running and a number of other sports, too. Well, you're part of this first class of honorees in the Hall of Fame, and your achievements speak for, their, for their, themselves. But uh, you're the lone, uh, the lone individual athlete. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your mindset, just training yourself, basically. Yeah, I mean, I guess you say by yourself, but in, in theory, yes. But I think there was always... You know, the guys were training right along with us. I think also just having that support group there that you're all going through, these tough workouts, these long training runs, and just having everyone, even if they're not at the same pace as you, everyone's out there um, just trying to do their best. And I think that that's what helped fuel me as, long, as well as um, also just trying to be your best and trying to, you know, get better every day and see how far you can really push. Um, I think like everyone, I had my days where I certainly didn't want to train and, and we all go through those ups and downs. Um, but by and large, it was, you know, an amazing time. And I'm so thankful for, you know, all those years of being able to actually, you know, train with those people and having that gift of 
um, being with them every day. I'm under the impression that when you first came into Corona High School as a freshman that you had no intention of running. What was it that changed your mind? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question. So, yeah, I actually hated running, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> in eighth grade, I remember running a race, and it was a 1,600 meter, and I, I had been running behind one of the guys on our team to try and just beat the record, and I ran so hard that I felt sick afterwards. And I was like, why would I ever want to – I, I don't want to do this. I'm only going to hide yeah. it. So that's kind of, I never really thought I would run. And I think what really changed that was uh, my freshman year in track, I was still planning to just high jump. And Mr. Aldrich was the distance coach, and he had just moved into the, um, into the town that year. And I decided, oh, I'll try. You know, I, I think, oh, maybe I'll try running 800. But I think it was the atmosphere, his positivity, and and I really did start to enjoy it, just seeing how um, how fast I could run and just being with people who were going through the same, like, training as well. It was a fun environment. And so over time, yeah, I really began to enjoy the sport and just wanted to do it every day regardless of, you know, whether I wanted to do it year-round as opposed to um, just during those seasons. Jamie, you, you brought up uh, Mr. Aldrich, and I, I remember him as one of my favorite teachers at Corona. He had the golden rules, you know, every day is a great day and all of those things. And he just, yeah, he, he, you're right, he was always a positive guy. I remember those late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, legendary Corona cross-country and track teams. Can you talk about what Coach Aldrich meant to you and what he taught you that you carried through your collegiate career? Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, where do you even start? I think... First of all, he, you know, you already hit on the fact that he's so positive. And I think the, I don't know how he did it, to be honest with you, but I think the environment that he gave with all of us just to see what the sport could do for you. And, and it taught me so many things um, along the way. When you think back to life lessons, you don't realize it in the moment, but everything from persistence getting out there consistency every day to dealing with setbacks, which is definitely a part of, you know, the journey. Like we all have times when we're injured and we can't run. And and I think being able to mentally, that's more of a mental battle than anything. Just trying to, you know, say, Hey, I know I've got to miss a couple of weeks and I know I have a big meet coming up, but how am I going to deal with that? And so I think over time you learn so many things that the sport teaches you, even, that apply in the workforce, that apply in your life every day. Um, and I'm so thankful, as fate would have it or wh- what, whatever you would call it, that Mr. Aldrich ended up moving to the town and, and helping me see, you know, the ta- A, the talent I had, and then just being able to be immersed with those people every day to train and just have fun and enjoy it. Well, you know, you, you, you talk about the mentoring by Coach Aldrich and, uh, you know, the, the team atmosphere being challenged by the different runners, both the boys and the girls. But uh, at what point did you realize, you know, you might be able to move on and do this collegiately and even beyond that? Uh, Yeah, I would say probably about the time I was my sophomore year and I I wanted to start training year-round, so it was around the wintertime. And I think it was after my sophomore year of running the state track meet that I really thought, man, I, I think I could really do this. And I, I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun. 
and I really wanted to give it a shot. So after that, I decided to just train year-round and run cross-country um, and track. And then how did you make your way over to MSU? Yeah, so uh, on my, I guess it was in my senior year, there was, you know, recruiting going on during probably the, I guess it was the beginning of my senior year. And so I went to visit both, I visited both Michigan State and Michigan programs. I don't know what it was, but I had this gut feeling about Michigan State and the coach at the time, Jim Spinsey. Um, I was definitely a, a run, a distance runner, and I even ran quite a few miles in, in high school. And so I felt like he was the best fit. And also meeting some of the girls on the team, I thought it could be a great match and, and went from there and just decided, hey, Michigan State seems like the best, you know, match for me. We're talking with Jamie Krasminski, and, you know, you're, we're talking to you mainly because of your career at Corona as a part of their inaugural Hall of Fame class, but you were quite a standout at Michigan State, and, you know, you actually have Big Ten hardware. How special was that, to, you know, being the best of the best in the Big Ten? Yeah, no, it was an incredible experience, and I met one of my teammates, actually, uh, Michelle Carson. I met her my freshman year, and we actually trained – you know, every day together, and we ended up um, both going there for five years. So it was incredible. I think it was, you know, getting that experience to train with her, and then the girls on the team were, we really just started to make some some headway. And so we ended up even um, having a team Big Ten championship and all-regional championship, which was a lot of fun. And then just being able to compete in the, you know, not only the Big Tens, but also the national um, championships, um, and being All-American was, you know, definitely some highlights that I will forever remember. And I think it's it's really the people that stick out in my mind. Yes, there's the accomplishments, and and I'm super proud and, and honored. Um, but I think a lot of the people are what made the difference. And I think in those tough moments and through all that training, you know, every little piece of support that they gave to me, with fuel, you know, when you're having those low days or, you know, those are the hard days. So actually for me, it's just a gift that I'm just so thankful that they gave me that gift. Yeah, I was going to ask about, you know, you talked about going on to MSU and obviously you were one of the best runners in the whole state of Michigan and when you were in high school. What kind of adjustment was it kind of going you know, like big fish in a little pond to, you know, as a freshman at MSU, you're kind of a little fish in a big sea running in the Big Ten and in the in the NCAAs. What kind of adjustment was that for you? Oh, it's a huge adjustment. I think people don't realize, I didn't I didn't realize how much of an adjustment it would be. I think it wasn't really the, the mileage or, like, the training as much. It's just everyone in college is so good. And, you know, you have a – there's so much improvement that needs – to happen, and I think it's just hard, that, especially the freshman year when you're transitioning, to know that you've been at you know a high level in high school, and then now you're you're having to work you know harder and harder every day in order to improve those times. And for me, it was especially tough because I got injured right after cross country season, and so you know you you have one season of consistency in college, and then you know to have a setback and get injured and not be able to run track was tough. Um, but I think it also helped me mentally to say hey if this you know what you want to do and you want to continue to improve and get better you have to just stick with it and stay healthy and be consistent with training and luckily you know I had the mental fortitude and a great support system in place to help me you know continue to get better. 
Well, Jamie, I got to say, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We appreciate you taking time out. And again, congratulations on the induction into the Corona Cavalier Athletic Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. Oh, thank you guys very much. Honestly, I'm incredibly humbled by the experience and, and just very honored, very honored and, you know, for the, you know, award and being inducted into the Hall of Fame and looking forward to, um, you know, being able to be with everyone next week. Outstanding. We'll see you there. The 1955 state champion football team, a part of the Hall of Fame. Their head coach was Charlie Alexander, and the 55 team was crowned Class C state champions by several media outlets with a 9-0 record. The team won the Central C Conference, outscoring their opponents 357 to 13 with seven shutouts. And get this, including the last three games of the season, the team won 57 to zip, 56 to nothing, and 55 to zero. We got a man that was a standout in those Corona days, played on some of those great teams, and then went on to a Hall of Fame coaching career at Alma College, Phil Brooks. Phil, welcome to this special Hall of Fame podcast. And, uh, you know, we want to get a few of your memories from that great era of Corona football. Thank you, Ted. I have many, many memories of those young men uh, who used to be uh, many, many friends for years and years as we grew through the elementary school, middle school, and up to high school. And unfortunately, I was a year behind that group, but all of them basically were good friends all the way through high school. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the previous two years were also undefeated Corona football teams, right? Well, my junior year, uh, we were 8-1, and one, and we lost to Chesaning. Okay. And I believe the score was 13-7. to seven. I've uh, played in or coached over five or six hundred games, <laughs> yeah. so uh, it's it's difficult to recall exactly the right score, but I think I'm pretty close. Well, I know the 55 team specifically, you know, and that's who's being honored with uh, this inaugural Hall of Fame, uh, you know, honor for Corona. Name some of the players. I know they had some all-state selections and some studs on that team. Well, in 1954, we were undefeated, and one of the main reasons for that was the junior offensive line. That group was absolutely outstanding. Uh, Al Walker was a, was a tight end, and Al went on uh, as a punter and played at uh, Central Michigan. And Neil Reevely, the right tackle, uh, Neil uh, was uh, uh, probably about six six one, maybe a little over 200 and some pounds, but he went on and played for the Air Force Academy. And uh, Bruce Schnipp, who has passed away, uh, was a real good friend of mine, was the right guard. Bruce was up around 210, 215. And uh, the left guard, uh, I think on 55, was Vic Nichols. Left tackle, I believe, was Bob Wright. And I think uh, Dave Finnerty played a, a role in that. And uh, I believe the left end was uh, Jim Snyder. That group just was outstanding as a group of junior kids. And I was the main ball carrier in 54, and Dwayne Taylor and Harvey Dutcher uh, carried the load in 55. And uh, I was injured as a freshman at Albion College and had to give up football. I was knocked out for a couple of days with a fractured skull and a concussion. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I helped recruit Harvey Dutcher to Albion, and the following year, one of my former teammates and friends, I was coaching at Albion College as a fullback, uh, 
uh, Harvey came in and played played a few ball games at Albion. Well, you talked about Dwayne Taylor, and you also had the nickname Tuffy Taylor, didn't he? Absolutely. Uh, Dwayne doesn't like that name anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he was a real good friend of mine. Matter of fact, uh, Dwayne and I, uh, he was a freshman when I was a senior, and uh, he and I would would uh, field Al Walker's punts all during the course of the summer. And we worked on an exchange where one had the ball and we either passed it to the uh, uh, opposite uh, person crossing, crisscrossing on the field so that we uh, really had a lot of deception. And we used that just about in every football game uh, that we played uh, together that, you know, those nine games in my senior year. So as someone, I'm only 20 years old, but what I hear about, like, Corona football history, I hear about coaches like Nick Anise and Earl Lancaster, but I'm honestly, I had never heard about Charlie Alexander until this team was inducted into the Hall of Fame. What, what can you tell me about what he was like as a coach? Well, Charlie came my junior year. We ended up that year having, I think, a great group of athletes, and I think the reason for it was we had played as young kids together for many, many years, and we knew one another. We, we knew exactly what to expect from one another. We utilized each other's strengths, and we knew the weaknesses. And, and it was one of those things where I think all those kids were winners, and they knew how to win, and they knew how to give 100%. And so when we played as juniors and we brought Corona back from uh, a losing season, you know, the previous year in 52, uh, I think it solidified those kids in their minds and hearts and, and bodies that they were very, very capable and they could compete with absolutely anybody in the state of Michigan. As I was a senior and they were juniors, we went on and went 9-0. and And the tradition just continued. And Alexander, I think, brought kind of a fresh look offensively uh, we were running the T formation as my sophomore year, and as a junior, we he introduced the the old single wing, which of course today is a part of that you know old tradition where you see the shotgun and all the various different uh, formations. But it was kind of an offshoot from that basic formation, and the ball was snapped either directly to me as a tailback or to Harvey Dutcher as a fullback. And then many things happened from that. Uh, and what we would do is we'd start out in the T, and then we would shift into that formation. So sometimes uh, the opponents were caught off guard by us having a quick snap and, and uh, running a play off the T formation or a pass play or a fake run and a pass. Uh, or we'd shift, and many times when we're shifting, they're jumping off sides because they're not sure, you know, whether we're going to end up running and snapping the ball at that point or not. We practiced it, and I think uh, the reason why it was successful is because it was kind of brand new into the Central C League at that point, and uh, they had a real difficult time uh, taking care of uh, disciplined defenses and I remember carrying the football numerous times where there was absolutely nobody around me uh, because of the the deception. There was an old series called the Princeton Buck Lateral, Lateral Series, and they ran four plays. And the ball went to the fullback, and it was a spinner series where he would spin halfway, fake to me going right, 
and then either turn up and fake to the quarterback standing and either uh, dive into the line of scrimmage or hand off to the quarterback who could hand it to the wide receiver coming back around or bring it down the line and, and pitch to me or keep it himself a form of an option. And that really was kind of a magic series that we used to run, uh, which it was amazing. I mean, it just, uh, I, I'd get out there and there's absolutely nobody and the ball comes out and you, you know, you jog down and, you know, I didn't jog, but I mean, you sprint down <laughs> into the end zone and, uh, you're untouched. And so that and our punt return game and our kickoff return game really was, uh, I think, really used often by Alexander. And he came up with a couple of trick plays on the kickoff where you'd run the ball up the field and pass to the opposite side of the field. And so there was some innovation there in 53 and 54 that we just didn't see before. So three really good teams right in a row from Corona football. But as somebody who's kind of grown up watching Corona football his whole life, in your opinion, who is the best Corona football team of all time? Well, I'm kind of prejudiced about the 55 group because they not only had size and strength but also speed. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I I think the opponents that the 47 team played was probably a little stronger than the 55 team. You know, you don't win in a conference with with only giving up 13 points in nine games with a strong conference. To me, the measure of the best team is being able to play and win games regardless of what the score is, if that makes sense to you. Sure. You know, last question I have for you, Phil, is we really appreciate you taking out time, and this is a special uh, evening for us to get together with all the Hall of Famers. But, you know, being a Corona kid, you know, growing up in that era of the 50s, uh, what stands out most to you and and what would you – pinpoint maybe what you learned at Corona as you went on to a very successful Hall of Fame coaching career in your own right up at Alma College. I just think the tradition was brought back in Corona and Corona football. You know, in the 40s, they had, I grew up as a 8, 9, 10-year-old watching the Gordy Sears and the Strigos and, you know, you know the, the great athletes at that time, Bowman and so on. And, uh, I always emulated and practiced like I was one of those guys, and I think our whole little group did. And I think the 50s group, starting with 53, I think brought back that tradition that was there, that it was a community spirit that was just unending. I mean, it was it was people that were continually the same group year after year after year, walking up down the sidelines, following the ball, cheering, screaming out, you know, sometimes at the officials. (laughs) But it was a a collection of avid fans, supporters, and they would do anything for those kids in order to help them become successful. And part of the era that I went through is that we ended up being able to play on the new high school field, you know, and that was a real thrill rather than playing back down at the old McCurdy Park field in the outfield of the baseball diamond. So I think that's the one thing I remember are the people in the community that gave such support over a long, long, long period of time. And I could name many, many people that I remember. Just 
people in the concession stand and people on the sidelines or people holding the the uh, the, the yardsticks uh, and all the different uh, aspects of, of that. And I was fortunate to go back and coach at Corona after I graduated from, from Albion. And uh, I had an opportunity to be there for two years before I took the head job at Resurrection or Class B High School in Lansing. So I just feel like I had a lot of great training. And I remember talking to Red Walker one time. That's Cliff, who was Al's brother. And uh, Cliff was a part of the team, a younger player. And he said to me, he said, you know why you had such a good coaching career? And I said, why? What do you think, Red? He says, because you graduated from Corona High School and you know how to win. <laughs> and I think that summarizes it pretty well right there. Well, there you go. Uh, a real winner yourself, Phil Brooks. We really appreciate you taking the time out, you know, giving us your recollections of that uh, Hall of Fame 1955 team and that era in general. Thanks again. Best of health to you down the road. And, and thanks for joining us here on Three Point Podcast and Z92.5 The Castle. Thank you much. The inaugural Corona Hall of Fame class includes one coach, but boy, he is a classic, Nick Anise. He also is a 1985 Michigan High School Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame inductee and a past athletic director at CHS. Coach Anise compiled a 91-32-3 record as the head football coach at CHS with a 7-10 win percentage between 52 and 76 overall as a coach at New Lothrop and Corona. Anise achieved 12 winning seasons as head football coach at Corona and was named the 1976 Michigan High School Coach of the Year. I have on the line his oldest son, Steve Anise, and of course Steve and I go way back. It's a couple years younger than me, but uh, we grew up in Corona in the 60s and uh, no, uh, obviously I knew his dad very well played for him. But Steve, first of all, welcome and, uh, you know, another great honor for your dad. Yeah, thanks, Ted. A well-deserved honor, as you well know, since you played for him also. One of the uh, most wonderful men that you could have coach you, in my opinion. I was only uh, the only niece to, to play under him, and uh, it wasn't easy. But it was certainly memorable, and I think that you would agree, a great experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was – I'm always proud that I can say, you know, I played for Coach Nick and Nice. Now, to be honest, Coach and me didn't always see eye to eye, and mostly that came from a little long hair, and I had a girlfriend. But (laughs) that didn't go so well. (laughs) I had the same problem. (laughs) But he did have respect for me, you know. Underneath the Friday night lights, he 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 named me captain on the defense. You know, he knew I wasn't going to mess up, so it it goes hand in hand, I guess. It was just a thrill. I got to tell you, some of the best memories I have is just running around the football field to practice, being the manager for yeah, from the '60s up until I played, and uh, there was a lot of success associated with it. I think that. uh, I got to, you know, I got to watch the interaction between all these older players who were, you know, who I looked up to, whether it was Jerry Dutcher or, hey, Ted Patel <laughs> or whoever it may have been, right? It's just, uh, it was just an exciting time for me. And, I'm, and uh, it's uh, something that I, I think about often as I really want to bring that up. But as we get older, we start thinking about the past. And some of my best moments weren't just playing for him, was just hanging around watching him coach the kids older than I was. Well, you know, he was a he, he was a fun guy. You know, I mean, he was fair. 
Uh, he had uh, his coaching staff kind of was a yin-yang compared to him. He was the boss, though. But, uh, yeah, he, he was just a fun guy to be around. And, and, you know, one of his most fun seasons that didn't quite end up the way we all felt it should have was the 76 season. You just missed out on that in your playing days. But uh, some of your recollections of, of what was going on in the Anise household, you know, when it came down the stretch and, and you knew that that team was going to be good. Yeah, I graduated, uh, you know, the year before. We had a, a, a decent team uh, in 75. And then 76, I mean, there was only a handful of people that were <laughs> missed from that team. So that class was just extraordinary. And uh, I think everybody knew, including my dad, that they were going to be very, very good. You know, to tell you the truth is it was going down to whether they're going to make the playoffs and the point system. And you know, I, I don't know how many tenths of a point it was that they missed out by. I never heard my dad during that time complain or worry about it or just discuss it that much. I came home for all, all the games I could because uh, I wasn't traveling most of the time with Central Michigan. And he, you know, never once did I hear him on a Saturday after the game look at the newspaper and say, geez, we're this many points behind in the, in the state rankings. He just played each game and had fun. I didn't a significant difference at all you know and one other one other uh, story about the end of that season maybe you can clear it up I don't know if it was an urban myth I got a feeling it wasn't but uh, what's the true story about uh, Okama sneaking in just ahead of the Cavaliers and from what I had always heard was Nick tried real hard to get that uh, week nine a game scheduled with Okamas is there truth to that yeah there's a little <laughs> truth to that the, the funny thing is Okamas wasn't sure they were going to get in, so they called him. And they, uh, I, I believe, initiated the, the contact. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it Denny Stoltz was their coach? I think he might have been. Yeah, and I think that uh, they were worried about getting in themselves, and I think at the last minute they were convinced over at Okamas that they were going to get in if both teams won. They did all the math, and so all of a sudden they – they didn't pursue that uh, matchup in the ninth game. Well, it, it, it's legend now. You know, that Cavalier team went undefeated. Of course, your dad went on to win the Coach of the Year. Who knows what would have happened? I think everybody that has a golden black heart thinks that was the best team and would have won the state championship. But we always get to talk about that squad for sure. Now, you know, you talked about it a little bit, Steve. We're talking with Steve Anise, the, the oldest son of Nick Anise. You know, you went to CMU and went on to start in the secondary at Central Michigan for the Chippewas. How did being influenced by your dad and being a part of the Cav family pay off for your college career up there as a chip? You know, uh, funny thing. It, it, uh, I mean, you knew me when I was a kid. I, I was fairly single-mindedly interested in sports. Right. And uh, football, although not my best sport, was the one I wanted to play. And... Um, you know, way back, I do you remember Jerry Dutcher? Of course. He, in fact, he's part of this podcast. Oh, is he? Oh, absolutely. So, I used to, uh, you know, look up to him quite a bit as a little kid, and uh, I thought it was so cool that he was uh, playing college football. And Randy Thayer went to Northern Michigan, if you recall. Yeah, won a national championship. Yeah, and I watched that game while Central was recruiting me, and uh, I, I think I was as prepared for what the college game had to offer going up there as anyone else and probably more so based on my experience that I had in high school and just being around everybody that I was around at Corona High School. 
Well, I'm sure that played a big part in it, but also the uh, the inner drive you had, Steve. I mean, you weren't the biggest guy in the world, you know, but uh, you went and played for the Chippewas, started for the Chippewas. I don't know where you were at on the depth chart when you first showed up on campus, but your career as a player in itself is, is a great testament to your dad and the rest of the family. So congrats on that yourself. Now, one final question before we move on here is, you know, when you look back on your dad's tenure at Corona, what stands out most to you? Uh, what stands out most to me is my dad's relationship with the players and how he handled individually each player as a person. Ted Patel with long hair, a little <laughs> bit rebellious, <laughs> treat you a certain way. Right. Uh, I watched him bring kids from broken families from that, that struggled, and he made them a part of something that was bigger than themselves, and I think that uh, I was always impressed. You know, Ted... I'll never forget being in locker rooms on Friday nights, pregame talk that my dad would give to the team, and I couldn't wait to be a player and be sitting there for those talks. <laughs> and no matter what level of football that I played at, I've never been more motivated than I was playing high school football uh, at Corona. It's, it, it, I, don't, I think people, you just can't overestimate the value of being in that locker room uh, during that period of time. Boy, I'll tell you what, Steve, we'll end it with that because I got some goosebumps remembered. I remember sitting in the hallways, you know, we would we have to sit in silence for about an hour before your dad came out and gave whatever that game speech was. You know, we're fired up to the max, and then we had to do that hand-in-hand or side-by-side walk, you know, out to the field. We'll never forget that. That was a great, great time and a great recap by you. Stephen East. Thanks for sharing some of these memories of the great Nick and East right here on Z92.5 and Three Point Podcast, and we'll catch up with you down the road, all right? You got it, Ted. Thanks. The 1947 state champion football team, coached by Earl Lancaster and crowned the Class C state champions by several media outlets, finished with an 8-0 record. The team was the Central C Conference champs. They outscored their opponents 307-37. to they beat the Duran Railroaders 74 to nothing. I know my dad had a few stories about that, and that's still the largest margin of victory in school history, and that did not allow a first down in the last three games of the season, winning 74 to zip, 52 to nothing, and 53 to nothing. We have the quarterback of that squad, Bill Strigo, on the phone with us. Bill, a tremendous athlete in his high school playing days, a member of the Corona Athletic Club for many, many years. And Bill, let's just start with you. What was it like playing for that that team in that era for Coach or for Coach Lancaster? We never did good enough. We always could have improved. And he always told us, you didn't draw enough blood. So he never was content. He had kind of that military background, didn't he? Well, he seemed to have. <laughs> you know, he wore pads. At practice. So he went out and, and he mixed it up with you guys? When, when we practiced, Earl came to the field with thigh pads and hip pads. <laughs> he was ready to go, boys. He was. He was. Well, how about, how about Bill? You were the quarterback. Didn't he bring in uh, the newfangled T formation? Yes. Yeah, we were the first team to go to the T formation. Otherwise, we always had a single wing. And it was a big, big difference. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the players on that team. I know you had some studs, you know, on the line. You had good running backs, good solid defenders. T- throw some of the names out on that 47 squad. Well, I can start with your dad. He was a tough bird. <laughs> then there was 
Let me Steve tell you. Brown and uh, <laughs> Art Siebenack, Rennie Kopus, Don Rumrell. These were all good ball players and not really big. Right. Uh, Kenny Hitchcock and Kenny Davis were freshmen that year and loved to tackle. They, they loved to tackle. Hitchcock especially. Backs that were uh, dash men on the track team. So we had a fast, a fast team. I remember one day we were playing afternoon at Ovid. Donnie Rumble came back to the huddle and he said, I can't block my man. He's never in a, where he should be. <laughs> and we said, well, we'll just throw a pass over him. <laughs> so we threw a pass in that area, scored a touchdown. They called it back because we were blocking downfield. So we ran the same play again, scored another touchdown. This time we weren't blocking downfield. That one counted. Well, I know you guys were were fast and you were strong, but I know, uh, Jared, you have a question, right? Yep. Uh, So my grandpa has always said that you were the best quarterback he ever saw play at Corona. Do you agree with that? Well, I was the first one. So how can I compare to any of the older ones? <laughs> you know, and if with a single wing, the halfbacks did the passing. So, right. Uh, we didn't get much credit for the quarterbacks passing. But now as they come along, they got so much better equipment. They've got a weight room. We had a, a weights that uh, just happened to something heavy and throw it back and forth. Well, you, well, you know, Bill... Um... You were an outstanding athlete. Your team was one of the greatest of all time. Uh, that goes without being, without saying, because in the Hall of Fame here, first go around. What is your greatest memory of you know growing up in Corona in that era and and playing sports for the Cavaliers? Oh golly, we used to go down to the park and play. Nobody had any coaching at that time. You know, the kids went down and played whatever they wanted to play. And today, every every team has got a coach, and I think the coaches are trying to make the kids something that they weren't. I think we got a lot of good athletes coming up, and and but we've got a lot of good systems. With the weight rooms they have today, we had nothing like that, but we did get by. Right. What does it feel like? I know you guys had a little bit of an honoring at uh, one of the basketball games last year or a year or so ago, but how does it feel to be honored and, and being a part of the first Hall of Fame class? Well, you know, it's a real honor. I was involved with the athletic club. I was an athletic club officer, president at one time. We never come up with this kind of stuff. So we've got to thank the athletic clubs today for coming up with this honor. And it is an honor to be selected with this, this group. Well, it was a special group, and uh, we're just we're glad we had a chance to catch up with you. We'll see you at the, uh, at the ceremony on Saturday afternoon. I'm hoping you'll be there, right? On Saturday afternoon, I plan on being there. All right, Bill. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking time out, talking about the team, and, uh, and we'll see you Saturday. I, I see they're having a golf outing. I'll be the first to tell you I'm a lousy golfer. <laughs> well, listen, Bill, uh, I, I, again, thanks for joining us. You know, this uh, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll definitely catch up with you, okay? All right. That sounds great, Ted. Thanks, Bill. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Jerry Dutcher, a 1967 graduate of Corona High School and a 1966 Associated Press Class B All-State and is next up on the pod. He went on to play college football down in Ann Arbor for the University of Michigan Wolverines and in high school participated in football, basketball, and track at CHS, a part of this inaugural Hall of Fame class for Corona. Jerry, uh, welcome to the program, and again, congratulations on your induction into the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Proud to be a uh, member of the Hall of Fame of the Cavaliers. Well, you know, uh, you're going back to the 60s. You know, you and I are getting up there a little bit, but uh, let's pick your brain a little bit on some of your memories. What was it like playing at uh, Corona High School, well, spe- specifically football for Nick and East? Well, I'm telling you, uh, when he came over from New Lothrop, it just, you know, gave Corona new life in football, and it was just a, a fantastic experience to play for Nick. He obviously he's a Hall of Fame in the, for the Michigan high school coaches and uh, had a great knowledge of football. He's a very caring coach, very successful, and uh, it was a privilege to play for him. Well, you grew up in Corona. We were talking with uh, Phil Brooks, and he mentioned Harvey Dutcher. Is that relation? Oh, he's my brother. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, Harvey played on the 1955 team, was first team All-State. And there was not another All-State player at Corona until I made All-State in 1966. Wow. Well, talk about Corona football back in those days. You know, you, you mentioned Coach Nick, uh, but uh, what was it like strapping on the gold and black? Well, I'll tell you, uh, especially with the group that we had, I'm from the class of 1967, and we had a great group of athletes. Uh, we had Dave Harvey, who was an all-conference quarterback and who taught at Corona there for many years. And Tom Butcher, who started on the varsity as a freshman. Uh, Dave Harvey started on the varsity football as a sophomore. And uh, I played as a sophomore. I didn't really come into my own until my junior year. It was just a great. We went 9-0, and and, and nobody really even came close to us during the whole season. So it was a tremendous experience with a lot of great memories. Well, I know Harvey to Dutcher was quite a combination. You know, we talked with Frank Korn, and I remember growing up across the street hearing that uh, on Friday nights over the loudspeakers. If you go back and look at uh, your varsity football career, is there any one game, any any one play that stands out to you there, Jerry? Well, in football, uh, yeah, there's a uh, our homecoming game against uh, Chesanine. Uh, it was a very tight game in the first half, and uh, Nick kind of let us have it. At halftime, and on Chesney's first drive, I intercepted a pass, landed inbounds, and then rolled into the homecoming court and knocked over the homecoming court. <laughs> and then, and then we took the play, and then we took the ball in and, and uh, went for our go-ahead touchdown. And from then on, uh, they didn't stay close with us. Kind of we'll a cool. Put thing. your name in there with uh, some of the best players uh, in Corona football history. Who, who do you think the best player of all time is? The best football player from Corona. Yes. You know, I haven't been around there for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. That was 52 years ago that I played. But uh, my brother would have to be right up there. Harvey would have to be right up there. I remember there was a, a great player off this team, a lineman, Neil Reevely. But I actually, I don't, you know, because I haven't been around there lately, so I don't know who, you know, I don't, I know when I came back in 1995 uh, of the, Ten receiving records, I still had nine of them. I don't know if I have any left, the way people pass the ball nowadays. But all of the people I remember, the ones that I played, I remember uh, Bryce Johnson, who transferred over from Duran, was a quarterback uh, two years ahead of me. 
uh, three years ahead of me, I think. He was in my brother's class as an all-star basketball player, but he was a great quarterback, Bob Burton, big fullback. I, I really don't know who, who could be considered the best. Well, we're talking with Jerry Dutcher here and a Hall of Famer in the inaugural Corona Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Jerry, uh, tell us a little bit about how you made your way down to Ann Arbor. That was the Bump Elliott days, right? Yes, I was recruited by Bump Elliott. Uh, Dennis Fitzgerald was the recruiter. I was also being recruited by Michigan State at that time when Michigan State was at its peak, number one in the nation. So it was a, uh, a tough decision, but as soon as I went down, uh, for my official visit and met Bump Elliott, and uh, there was no question in my mind that that's where I wanted to go, that's where I wanted to play. Now, how did it go down there? Did you get much playing time at all? I was a wide receiver. Uh, we couldn't play as freshmen. We weren't eligible as freshmen back then. But uh, I played as a wide receiver, as a sophomore, had a touchdown. Then they switched me when Beauchamp Beckler came in. They switched me to defensive back. And uh, I played on all the special teams, and I had an interception. And so I got a lot of playing time, but I wasn't a star by no means. Yeah, but being a part of the, the Bo's first year when you guys upset Ohio State, I think it was Barry Pearson had a couple picks in that game, 24-12, to 12, a legendary Michigan game. You were a part of that, right? Absolutely. Actually, Barry Pearson had a couple punt returns as well. That was uh, back-breaking. Yeah, did, still considered the greatest upset in NCAA history. See, see, Jared, Michigan did beat Ohio State once in a while. Yeah, yes, they did. It's been a while. <laughs> well, Jerry, I'll tell you what, we appreciate you taking time out. You know, I know you starred in basketball and track as well, but uh, really I remember you mostly from football, and it's, it's a great uh, achievement to be in the Hall of Fame, well-deserved, and, and thanks for joining us here, all right? More than welcome, and I appreciate the call, and uh, go Cavaliers. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot, buddy. Well, you know, Corona has a brand new Athletic Hall of Fame. Their inaugural class has taken place this weekend, and the athletic director who really has come forward to put it together is Jason Beldega. And Jason, nice job, first of all, for for, uh, organizing this, uh, you know, putting the votes together the way you did. And uh, it's an exciting first class, but uh, tell us a little bit about how this all came together. First of all, thanks, Ted, for for that. So, Right before I had became the athletic director, Nikki Norris, the former athletic director here, she had the idea uh, to start the Athletic Hall of Fame, and then she moved on to East Lansing. Uh, so as I was trying to figure out how to answer the phones and pay the officials, uh, I kind of got thrown to the wolves, so to speak. So basically we had an idea of what we want to do at the Hall of Fame, and I started reaching out to other ADs, Chris Irvin over in St. John, uh, St. John's uh, area, Obviously, Nikki, with her experience, and kind of just shaped the Hall of Fame how we wanted it to uh, to look. Well, uh, let me, before these guys jump in with a, with a question or two, uh, tell us about uh, the Hall of Fame weekend, the events, and everything you've got put together for, for this first class. So we have a lot of different events, and I think one thing that we're, we're very proud of is there are events that are free to the community. There are events that are more fundraiser-based. So there's a little bit of something for everything. So everything will start on Friday night, the 20th, from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock at the high school in the cafeteria. Uh, We're going to have a free community gathering, uh, indoor tailgate, if you will, and Rivals Tap House and Grill of Corona is going to provide a bunch of free appetizers for us. They're our number one sponsor for that event. 
So it's just going to be a very, uh, it's not as much of an organized thing, but just an opportunity for people to meet with the Hall of Famers, uh, those that are going to be in attendance and mingle and catch up with old friends. We'll have a bunch of different information uh, pieces out there for everyone in the Hall of Fame. And then that Friday night, Friday night, the 20th there, um, at halftime, we'll recognize kind of briefly, but with a captive audience, all of our Hall of Famers that are in attendance, uh, all seven of the either teams or individuals being inducted. So we're really looking forward to that because the, the community will get to see some familiar faces they haven't seen in quite a while. And then it's not as much of a, a organized aspect of our Hall of Fame, but we're really promoting people to go out to rivals after the game for just a gathering on their own. Uh, some of the Hall of Famers will be there. Some of them won't be. Uh, but, again, just an opportunity to catch up with old friends. And then on Saturday, we have two events on Saturday, the 21st. Uh, both of them are at the Owasso Country Club. The first is our Hall of Fame, uh, Athletic Hall of Fame golf outing. That starts at 9 o'clock. And we're really excited. Our, we, we're already almost up to 18 teams. We still have room for some more people to register with their team. And then after that, at about 2 o'clock, obviously it'll depend on when our golfers come in from golfing, we're going to have our first induction luncheon. Uh, and it'll be an opportunity for those Hall of Famers in attendance that want to say a word or two uh, can speak. We're going to give away tons of free stuff for the community, so we're really excited for it. How are voters decided? Because not to name names, but there's one guy who I'm not sure should have a vote. <gasps> Ted! Sorry, I had flum in my throat. <laughs> Voters were, were selected at random. Uh, when we first looked at uh, starting the Hall of Fame, we kind of started putting, there was a committee of, I think, four or five of us. Uh, this was before I was the athletic director, and we just started naming people that had been around the community for a long time. Maybe they were in the media. Maybe they were just, you know, people that you always saw at Corona Athletic Events. Uh, and we started a list, and then basically we just chose at random 15 names, and, and those were our voters for this year. And then that list, every year, will just draw 15 more random names. So the, the list of voters will always be different. It maybe set the stage a little bit, too, about how you determined, uh, you know, the, the point basis for the Hall of Famers getting elected. Basically what we did is we took the, the nominees from this last year, or from, the, from last fall, and each voter got a ballot and got some just very basic information bullet points. Uh, there was no narrative uh, to any of the information, but the meat and potatoes of each nominee. And then each voter was asked to pick five and then to rank those five through one, five being what who they thought was the most deserving uh, down to one. And then what we did is we kind of tallied all that up. And then we looked for if there was a clear delineation. Our target was to try to get to five nominees or five inductees, I should say, uh, but we just we said, okay, is there a clear division between nominees? And, and there was this year, so that's why there were seven. Let me, let me ask one other question. You know, without naming names, obviously, was there was there a, a close race at the tail end? Not really. I mean, there was there was obviously there was a lot of there's a this Hall of Fame is going to take off in the next couple of years, and there were some very uh, worthwhile. Uh, nominees, but it was it was a pretty clear cut who the top seven were, but there there are some that I would highly expect to be shoo-ins for for next year. Well, Jason, we appreciate you taking the time out and uh, kind of setting the stage. You better get your rest this week because it sounds like a busy weekend coming up. 
Yeah, I've already told my wife I'm going to be up at the school every <laughs> night this week getting ready for this. I'm up there right now hammering away, trying to get the details right. Jason Beldiga, one of our favorites, the athletic director at Corona. Thanks, Jace. do it for now subscribe and rate us on all the big podcasting sites including apple Podcasts, soundcloud and all the others follow and comment to us on twitter instagram and facebook at three point pod and make sure to support our three point podcast partners main street pizza advanced elevator sheridan realty and auction company rivals tap house and grill the corona connection card service michiana and promec engineering also be sure to check out our friends at sports radio detroit for their great variety of programming and z92.5 the castle also a very special thanks to the hall of famers who took time out to help us make this special three-point podcast this has been a three-point podcast production in conjunction with sports Debt michigan and wjsz radio Thank you again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast. 